Father, we thank you for this morning. And God, we confess that we know that this is where the world is going, that all of us will bow a knee to your Son and praise him as the great God that has come to save us. And Lord, we look forward to that day. It's going to be a really good day. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you'd give us a glimpse of that even as we look at Habakkuk chapter 3, Father. So use your spirit to speak through me now to our hearts. Fill us with your word. Give us strength to continue in our lives as we walk out as believers in you. And we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome. Woohoo! Ron's here. Is anybody else here this morning? <laughs> there you are. Okay. Glad to see you guys. Good to have the kids in the service as we had some of them transitioning to first grade. You know, I remember when I went to first grade. It was a while ago, but I liked it. It was a good day. Got a Bible about that time that I still have that God used in my life, and so it's a good, good thing. Well, we're finishing up our Habakkuk series today, and uh, but before we do that, I want to give you a little bit of info on where we're going this fall. This is our last sermon in, in Habakkuk, and then we're going to have two Vision Sundays, so two sermons with me and Kevin. We're going to be talking about where we're going, what we're thinking as a church, how we can deepen our discipleship, and so I want to invite you guys to be a part of that over the next two weeks, and then. Then we're going to go into an eight-week series on Colossians called The Image of the Invisible, and we're going to look at how that book highlights Christ and who he is and his work and how we are to live out who Christ is in our lives. And so, speaking of Jesus today, we've been talking, singing about him this morning. We're going to be looking at the Habakkuk chapter 3, and if you want to turn your Bibles there, I'm going to issue a challenge to the kids, and really this is for the adults too. But Jesus is in this chapter. <laughs> he's kind of hidden, okay? But he's in this chapter. So kids, if you think you know where Jesus is in this chapter when we're going through, you just raise your hand. I want to see it uh, when you think he's there. Now, my kids don't count because we read this chapter together last night, and so they should know where he is. They may not, but we'll see. All right, somebody remarked to me the other day that, you know, you can tell where you're from by the way you say Habakkuk. Okay, so, so Kevin, if you've noticed, says Habakkuk, which is actually closer to probably what the Hebrew was because he's from Seattle, but I'm from Tennessee, so I say it closer to tobacco, so Habakkuk, and no, he wasn't the prophet of cigarettes, right? He was a good prophet of God, but I say Habakkuk, and Habakkuk has been answering important questions of God. He asks God questions, and God gives important answers that we need here today. And I think, as we've said, this book implicitly gives us the permission to ask God questions, right? That we, we approach Him in faith, looking for answers and understanding, and we say, God, why is this going on? And God answers. And Job and Habakkuk both would tell you, He answers, just be ready for it. <laughs> be ready for what He might say to our question. And so we approach God in faith, seeking understanding. Now, so far, Habakkuk has answered two questions for us. One, he asks God, why do I see all this evil going on around me unpunished? What are you going to do about it, God? And what does God say? Well, I'm doing something in your days, Habakkuk, you wouldn't believe if I told you. Right? I'm moving even when things don't seem like it. I'm moving in your world. And then he's doing something, and the answer was surprising. Actually, I'm bringing the Babylonians against Israel, and I'm going to punish them. 
which led to Habakkuk's second question. God, how can you as a holy and righteous God use an evil nation to punish your good people? And God gave three different answers to that. He said, look, Habakkuk, wait for it. It's going to be slow. I will be faithful to what I'm telling you. Secondly, this is the most important thing in Habakkuk, you live by faith. Unlike these Babylonians, you trust me and you live by faith. And then thirdly, by the way, I'm going to punish Babylon. I will show myself to be just and holy. So you hang on. And so God answers Habakkuk's questions. And then in chapter 3, really we come to Habakkuk's final response to all that God has said and shown him. And, And it comes in the form of a prayer. In fact, it gives instructions to be set to musical instrumentation. In fact, that's what we did this morning. We sang, or Sandy read Habakkuk's prayer to music as this often would have been done um, by the people of old. And so as we look at Habakkuk this morning, it's really going to teach us three things. One, encountering God changes us. When we see God for who he is, how big he is, all that he's doing, it moves us to want to be worshipers of him. That's what it means to be a follower, as we've said. Secondly, God's faithfulness in the past will build our faith for his future promises. As we look at what God has done, has been faithful to, then we can look forward to what he said, and we can place our feet on a sure foundation. And finally, he'll show us that joy is made possible by faith, that there is great joy to be found through faith in God when we live our lives based on what God has said. So let's look at how encountering God changes us, starting with verses 1 and 2 in Habakkuk. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the Shigayanoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of years, make it known. And in wrath, remember mercy. Remember, Habakkuk's been questioning God about things in his life, and God has Answered in astounding ways. And what's Habakkuk's response? I've now seen your report. I know what you're doing, God. And I am terrified of you. Because you are holy and above all things. I want you to see that the fear of the Lord. This is a pretty normal human response. When we come face to face with the immensity of God and what he's doing in our world. We see this throughout the Bible with the prophets and the saints. When they encounter God, they fall on their face and say, You are Lord. Please don't kill me. (laughs) And when we really see God, it can be intense and it can be a scary thing. In fact, in verse 316, he says, God, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones and my legs tremble beneath me. I am terrified of who you are. Knowing what God was going to do to purify his people through judgment and how he was then going to judge those that he was using, the Babylonians. And maybe you've encountered God before and it was terrifying. I think all of us that follow Jesus have have had this experience before. I can think of two different occasions where God used thunder in my life to terrify me. One was in college. I was living in a little bit of sin and God woke me up in the middle of the night with thunder, and it was the terrifying voice of God that said, you need to change, Jared. It was terrifying. And I began to walk out different things in my life and just 
Actually, about a year ago, I had the same experience. I wasn't in sin this time, but it was a reminder from God. He woke me up with thunder, and it scared me to death as he said, I am Lord. You need to worship me as Lord, and you need to fear me. A reminder that he is great and above all things. And part of the Christian life is working at ways to get before God and really see who he is. And Habakkuk is showing us that this morning. What are you doing to encounter God? You need to be making time to read in his word, to pray to him, to to gaze at creation and think about this creator God that wants a relationship with us. And then Habakkuk does a curious thing. He's saying, God, I'm terrified, but let me make some requests of you because I know who you are. And in response to what he's said and done, Habakkuk asks these three things. He says, one, in the coming years, do your work again, God. He's saying, Daddy, do it again. I know what you can do. Do it again. Save us like you have in the past. You are awesome. I've known what you've done for us. Please do it again. And we need to ask God to work in our life and situations in ways that he has in the past. This is a prayer of faith. God, I know what you've done. I've seen you do it before. God, I need you to do it again because I know who you are. Secondly, Habakkuk asks him, he says, make your work known. Right? This is really a prayer more that people would see seeing who God is and he wants other people to see who God is and respond to him If God did all this for the Israelites and they feared him and he worked on their behalf, then God, do it for other people. Make yourself known. You know, this week we've had a tragedy actually in our neighborhood. Some of you may have seen the car accident on TV that took the life of a a little boy who lives one street over from us. And so we, we have met the parents and the family and many neighbors that are grieving this loss. And so... We went to a gathering for our community um, just a day ago. It was a pre-planned party. Before this ever was happening, we had this picnic planned for the neighborhood. About 150 people from our neighborhood came. And and that was my prayer. I was like, God, make your work known to these people. They need to know you. You've shown yourself to me. Show yourself to them. They are hurting. Make yourself known, God. And then he prays to God, in your wrath, God, as you're pouring out judgment on us, would you remember some mercy? (laughs) I think this comes from a man, a prophet who knows the very character of God. David speaks of God's character, Psalm 103, I love this, 8 through 11. He says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. Habakkuk saying, God, I know who you are, and I know you're going to show us judgment for a time to discipline us, but will you treat us kindly? Show us mercy? And like David, so many times when I've found myself in a place of sin, I've prayed this prayer that David gives us, saying, God, please don't punish me according to my sins. I know you're a merciful God. Show us mercy. And so we, like Habakkuk, can learn to pray according to the character of God. It gives us a pattern. 
we pray according to what we know is true about him, and he gives us what we don't deserve. And so as Habakkuk has encountered God, it, it drives him to a life of worship. This is the core of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We see who Jesus is, and then our whole life becomes worship of who this great God is. And we get to know him through his word and his, the people in his church, and then we respond to him with our lives. And that's what Habakkuk is going to do. After seeing who God is and what he's doing, then in these next couple of verses, verses 3 through 15, he's now going to give this prayer of response to God in worship. Here's what you've done, God. I've seen it. I've heard it. I want to recount it so all your people will remember. And as they do that, they will build their faith. So let's look at God's faithfulness in the past that builds our faith in his future promises in verses 3 through 15. Okay, here, I want you to indulge me for a few seconds. Because I'm an old T, OT, Old Testament, PhD dork, okay? I love the Old Testament, and this little section is just loaded with so many references to so many things. And, and as I read it, I want you to think about what does it bring to mind? Maybe you even thought of it this morning. I'm going to point out a few, um, but I really want you to see how cool Habak- what Habakkuk is saying here. And I want you to let it guide you into greater faith. He's recounting what God did so that he can be sure about what he's doing in the future. See, Israel always looked to the past to know how God is going to act in the future. This is what they do. This is what the Bible calls us to do. We look at what God has done in the past so that we have faith to walk through the future in what he said. And one of the drumbeats of the Bible, as we've said, is remember, 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 so that we can walk and walk and walk. All right, so let's read Habakkuk 3, 3 through 15. And really, these first couple of verses, 3 through 7, are going to describe the awesome glory of the Lord when He comes. Okay, it says this, God came from Mount Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. And these refer to the land of Eden and the land surrounding Sinai where God first revealed himself to Israel uh, on Mount Sinai. And so here's this picture of God coming down from that mountain again to help Israel. He says his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. You can think of 1 John 1, 5 when it says, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. And on Mount Sinai, he came in great amounts of light and yet he veiled himself with the clouds so as not to hurt the people around him. You can think of Moses' face who encountered the God of light and then he shone for days because of who he had encountered. Habakkuk 3, 5 goes on to say, before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. You might think of the the ten plagues that God poured out on the land of Egypt as he came to save his people and the plagues that the, the people encountered as they went out from the land and were often in disobedience. Habakkuk 3, 6 and 7 says he he stood and he measured the earth. He looked and he shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low His were the everlasting ways. 
I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. There Habakkuk's talking about all the great ways that God scattered their enemies as they brought them up from, the prom- from Egypt into the promised land that no army, no nation, no mountain, no anything could get in their way because God was above it all. Even these Wasatch Mountains that appear eternal bow to God our King. And He will remove them to save His people. There is nothing that can stand in His way. He is, this is the glorious picture that Habakkuk is giving us of God riding out and vanquishing the nations to bring about justice and nothing can stand before Him. He is strong and mighty and holy and good and bright and everlasting. And then Habakkuk goes on to make it a little more personal. He goes from God now to Yahweh. And he's talking about instead of him, it's you, the God he knows. Starting in verse 8, he says, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode out on your horses on your chariot of salvation, here God or Habakkuk is likely thinking about the Lord coming and splitting the Red Sea or splitting the Jordan River to bring his people in the land. He's saying, God, were you punishing the rivers? No, you were actually using them to bring your people into the land, to save your people. He wasn't mad at nature. He's using them in service to his people. Verse 9 says, you strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted up its hands on high. The sun and the moon, they stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. Here you can think of all the battles in Joshua as the people are coming in. Maybe even when Joshua is fighting the Amorites and he commands the sun and the moon to stand still while God fights for them. And then Habakkuk gives the reason behind God's work. Here's this great and glorious God going out. And he's looking to the future knowing that God will crush Babylon for their sake. <laughs> Here's what he says, Habakkuk 3.13. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea With your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Listen, this is God's heart for his people. Habakkuk now knows and understands all that is going on. That this mighty God is doing all of this, everything he's revealed, for the salvation of his people. See, when we become followers of Christ, you have now switched from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You have begun, become God's children, and God is jealous over his kids. <laughs> he will fight for them. He won't let you go once you are his. He will discipline you, and he will make sure you are holy and in relationship with him. And that's what Habakkuk knows that he is doing. Now, 
Notice in Habakkuk 3.13, there's a contrast between those that are good and evil and a contrast between some singulars and some plurals. We're getting detailed today, but I like this here. God goes out for the salvation of his people and for his anointed. Okay, these are the twin aims of God in one act of salvation. He saves his people as he works salvation through his anointed. I didn't see any hands, I'm a little disappointed. But do you know what the Hebrew word for anointed is? It's Mashiach, which is our word for Messiah. So here he is saying he's going out for the salvation of his people and his particular anointed one that he is working salvation through. He's saving his people as he works salvation in the Messiah. And in contrast, he goes out to crush the head of the wicked. In other words, Satan is vanquished and so is all of his household. Does this sound familiar? easy to see as New Testament believers, this verse really is a whole poem about God's awesome salvation that is prefiguring the work of Christ to come. Here, Habakkuk is drawing on one of the first promises of Christ coming from Genesis 3.15 that says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There was one to come that would vanquish evil, a particular one. And here Habakkuk saying, I agree that that's going to happen, God. And I know that's why you're marching out now in all your glory. And the seed of the woman is all those who will find salvation in Christ compared to those that will follow the offspring of Satan. Who are you going to (laughs) be? That's the question of the Bible. Which one are you going to follow? Will you be a child of God or will you be a child of Satan and his minions? And Habakkuk now sees that God is working in the nations to fulfill everything that he promised. And he says, do it, God. God's faithfulness in the past builds his faith about his future promises. He sees what he did in the Exodus and he knows what he said about his salvation that is coming will come to pass. Now, here's the cool thing. I want to take this one step further for us. When Habakkuk recounts God doing, what he he says about God doing is exactly what the Bible talks about Jesus doing when he returns. Okay? And when Jesus comes, he'll do it in even greater ways. So I want to take just a moment to remind you of these things. The Bible tells us that he will come, Christ will come with great light and glory, and he will shake up the nations. Okay? Matthew 24, 27, 30, it says, As lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of man. Then he will appear in heaven, the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation 1.7, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail account of him. He's coming with great glory, and the nations are going to lose their minds. <laughs> he's going to shake them up. And as the mountains are laid low in Habakkuk, the earth will be laid low when Christ returns. 
2 Peter 3, 9 and 10, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Think back to last week, as some count slowness. But impatience towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works done on it will be exposed. Nothing will stand in the way of Christ when he returns. And once more that we see when Jesus returns, the seas and the rivers will face his wrath. Revelation 16, 3 and 4 talks about the bowls of wrath being poured out on the rivers and the seas of the earth, just like Habakkuk pictured God doing. And as God came on his horse for salvation in Habakkuk, Jesus has spoken about his riding out on a white horse with his sharp sword bared ready for battle. The faithful and true one who comes out to make war. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And yet Jesus has come and is coming for the salvation of those who put their trust in him. 1 John 4, 8-10, it says, God is love. And this is the love of God that was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. See, God sent his son to save us, just like he came to save his people back there. He sent his son to live the perfect life we couldn't do. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins we couldn't pay. And then he rose again from the grave to give us a life that we could have never had. He says, if you will confess me as Lord, then you will be with me forever. In fact, this is what it says. On the last day, we know that Jesus comes to gather his people forever. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 18, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These words are written so that we would find faith in what God is doing. God has done all these mighty acts in the past so that we would know what he will do in the future and we can stand on it and bet that it is sure. And just like Habakkuk's response to God and his splendor, as we see what Jesus is doing in our world, then we say, Jesus, you are Lord. How do I give my life to you? How do I worship you with everything that I am, it changes us, drives us to a place of faith. So God was true to his words to Habakkuk. And you better believe he's going to be true to what he's promised for the future. So don't let the culture get you down. Though he's slow, God says, I will do this. Look at what I've done. You know that I'll do what I say. And so we are to be those that live by faith. Finally, let's look at Habakkuk's response to who God is and what he is doing in faith. And this is the fact that joy is made possible by faith. Look at verses 16 through 19. Habakkuk says, I hear, maybe that's you this morning, I hear and my body trembles. 
at what you're doing. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness has entered my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes me tread on high places. See, Habakkuk is going to wait on the Lord as he was instructed. In the meantime, he's going to live by faith. Habakkuk 3.17, it starts with this word, though, though all these things fail. And a lot of scholars have said, it's not though, it's not if these things fail. It's like Habakkuk knows it when it's a when. When are these things going to fail? When they fail, I will rejoice in the Lord. He knows what is coming upon them. And maybe you can think of the many in Ukraine right now that have lost everything, right? Those maybe in other war-torn countries like Yemen that have no economy, no food, nothing. This is the kind of destruction that Habakkuk's talking about. And he says, even in that, I will rejoice in the Lord because I know what he's doing for his people. He's doing a good work for his people. And this passage, it stuns us. Because it goes well beyond just waiting for coming destruction. It, it, some sort of Eeyore fatalistic voice, right? Habakkuk's faith in God is making it possible for him to have joy even when everything else fails. <laughs> and guess what? We need to learn from Habakkuk. We started losing our faith when we couldn't get toilet paper at Walmart. We got some work to do here. Much less the collapse of our economy, the destruction of our city, the loss of our food supply. <laughs> I was talking with Alex Adamo before church, one of our elders, and uh, they've had some troubles lately. I asked him if he walked to church this morning. None of their cars have worked for weeks, and now they're out of their house in an Airbnb because construction's taken too long and things have gone well, and yet they seem to have a little bit of joy. Right? Because they know God is doing something. And throughout the centuries, there have been many groups of Christians that have found peace in their heart and joy in the midst of the most horrible situations you can imagine. Because they look at what God has done in the past and they know He will be faithful to His promises in the future. And what we see in this passage is that Habakkuk's joy because he has met and is in a relationship with a God that is over it all. Listen, joy is not this transient feeling like happiness, okay? It doesn't just come and go. It's a deep and seated contentment that comes from outside of us. It comes from God Himself. It can't leave us. It, it leaves us with a grin even in the midst of the hardest circumstances because we know that God is for us. He's doing things. He's done things, and He will be faithful, and though everything fail, we know that God is working out salvation for His people. And things will be really good for us in the end. They'll be good for us. We can look at the world failing around us and take joy knowing that Jesus is working out our salvation. And this saga of the sinking ship that we are on will all one day end really, really well. 
You know, I love the Proverbs 31 woman in this. Proverbs 31, 25, it says, she laughs at the time to come. How can she do that? Because she knows who God is and what he's doing. I want to be the one that laughs at the days to come. To laugh at whoever's president next. <laughs> right? To laugh at what I might experience as my body ages. <laughs> to laugh at the next pandemic or plague that might come to our planet. To laugh at all the interesting twists and tragedies of life. Because I know what God is doing in the midst of it. He's working salvation for his people. This immovable God, this everlasting God, he is a sure rock. He says, look at what I've done and you can stand on me for the future because I will be working for you. And one day he will ride out to save his people and will make all right all the wrongs that have ever been done in this world and things will be really good for us as we spend eternity with his son. And if that's true, you can have joy. We get so caught up in the forest for the trees, we look at all the stuff around us and we we take our eyes off Jesus. Peter says, don't be so short-sighted. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's doing something really great. And we should rejoice even as he's doing it. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. What a great verse. Band, you can come on up. In just a moment after I pray, Pastor Jim is going to lead us in a time of communion. And really, communion is for believers in Jesus. They've given their lives to Christ. They've said, Jesus is Lord. And so we remember in this time what Jesus did for us, that he died for us. He paid the penalty we couldn't pay to God so that we could be in relationship with him. And yet, communion is also a great time for you to encounter God for the first time. To look on his son and the sacrifice that he made for you, And to say, maybe for the first time, I want to follow you, Jesus, as Lord. I give you my life. If that's you this morning, then I pray that you would pray with God as we take some moments to contemplate and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I accept your sacrifice for me. I want to follow you with everything that I am. And then you drink his body and blood. And as we're eating together, you know, God gave us this to be a meal of great joy. To remember, God is doing something, and he will do something. And to rejoice with God with what he's done, we partake of his table. As we close this morning, I want to read for you 1 Peter um, 1, verses 3 through 9. And I think this capsulates why we have joy and gives us our posture as we are those looking, knowing that the crops are going to fail, this world's going down. But God is doing something, and we have something good to look forward to and take joy in. Here's what Peter says to us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And you will obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word to us that you are doing something in the midst of all that we see going on in our world. Lord, teach us to be a people that like Habakkuk can look at the world and say, God, though it all fails, I place my life on what you've said and I will take joy in you, the God of my salvation, and I will live by faith. Father, I pray that you would encourage our souls this morning that you have accomplished salvation, you have given us an inheritance in heaven, and you will come and bring us back to your throne where we will dwell with you forever. Lord, may we be a people that rejoice in your good promises. Father, as we come to a time of communion, I pray that you minister to each one of us by your spirit. Father, speak to us in ways only you can. In Christ's name we pray.